You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Good to be with you this morning. You might notice there's a little bit of a change because we're starting the sermon earlier than we normally would. Uh, today's a special Sunday. We're actually going to be at the end of the service commissioning many folks from our church who will be leaving us in the coming months. And so we want to make you aware of that, that you might get time with them before they leave and that we can actually bless them. And we're going to hear from them. It's going to be really special. So we're jumping in here with the sermon now. And um, it's been a great morning. I hope that those of you who are here in person read the email that I sent to everyone who registered that said, it's freezing in here <laughs> because it is, it is so cold. We apologize for the AC being broken. Uh, they hope that they can get it fixed this week. I feel like it's like one of those old hotels that you've ever been in where you just, all you can do is turn it on like high or low and then you turn it on high and then like middle of the night you're just completely frigid. That's what it feels like, but you're all here. We're really glad that you're here. I had a real fun time. I just snuck around here and it was so fun that we now have Midtown Kids going every week. Um, Stuck around there, saw Jennifer giving, giving uh, the kids uh, a lesson out there, took photos of it. It's real special, and it feels like family more and more each week as uh, more folks keep coming back and feel safe to do so. And it's good that it feels like family because we're starting, this is week number two of our series, Family Matters. And so we're talking about the various just different uh, seasons of life, kind of jumping off in the book of Ephesians, continuing our study through there, uh, talking through family matters because we believe that mat- all family matters to God. And because it matters to God, it should matter to us. And really, the next week and the week before, we're actually going to jump into Ephesians 5, where it actually talks specifically about marriage and parenting. Jake and Chris are going to do that the next two weeks, but we thought it would be really wise for us not just to address those that Ephesians speaks specifically to, but really address the other seasons of life that we find ourselves in. And we really take as a jumping off point from, from that, really the verse 20, that's the one that kind of kicks off the rest of the passage that we're going to hear about marriage and parenting. And it says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this, see, before going into marriage, this is a command that's just for the whole body of Christ, for the whole family of God. This is a command that we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so we're using this as kind of a jumping off point to talk about. Last week, we talked about singleness. And today, I get the joy of talking about dating. Sounds like fun. Now, now for those of you who are married or not interested in dating, don't check out because we think what we're trying to do here is foster a conversation where you can then really understand and relate to those in our church who are dating. So next week, those of us who aren't married or don't have, the next week after, don't have kids, don't check out. Because what we're doing when we're talking about family matters is trying to address all the areas that we find ourselves in in our church. That we can better understand each other, love each other, and help each other. So today is is dating. So it's going to be fun. Um, Dating is kind of difficult because there's a ton of confusion right now in the world about what is the purpose of dating, what's the process of dating. Uh, we get bombarded with, with a, a false idea of dating that comes to us from the world. And honestly, there's also what I believe to be some false ideas of dating that even come uh, from within the church. And as a result, what happens is people often have ended dating relationships with much hurt, much pain, much disillusionment. And some of that is because they've actually going about it the wrong way. They have the wrong purpose in what they're trying to do. They have the wrong process in how they're doing it. And then there's the other fact that, that there's a lot of hurt in dating just because it's dating. <laughs> and you know, if you're dating, it's going to end one of two ways. <laughs> you're going to get married or you're going to break up. And so I can attest to that. You'll hear a little bit about my story today, that there is lots of breakups and they have caused a lot of pain. So there's also not just that you've done something wrong and that's what's caused pain. And the very fact that you try to date and, and move toward marriage and something breaks up, there's just naturally, there's going to be pain there. 
But I want to suggest that if you follow what I believe to be God's ways and the purpose and the Christian worldview of dating, that you can more successfully move toward marriage. And if it doesn't move toward marriage, you can have a less painful uh, breakup if you're approaching it from a Christian perspective. Which begs the question, okay, what's the Christian perspective on dating? And guess what? The Bible says nothing about dating. <laughs> so, so where are we going to go then today, right? Like it doesn't say like you can't say, look up the scripture that says you should go for a walk at Zilkor Park. Thou shalt. That's how you should do a first date. Or I can't, I can't turn to you guys right now and say, let's look at the uh, third chapter of Hesitations. And we're going to talk about how to ask a girl out on a date. Like it's not there, okay? So we have to start with that being said. But that being said, there's plenty in Scripture that teaches us about how to have relationships with one another. And I think given that dating is a modern phenomenon, there's plenty that we can pull from. And so we're not going to find specific passages today on dating, but we are going to find passages that give us principles that lead to wisdom and how we can pursue marriage. So that's what I'm aiming to do this morning. Um, but before I do that, uh, I do want you to hear something very important. Um, it's very, very likely that all of you here uh, this morning, single, married, or divorced, have not followed these principles. Um, you may be single and you didn't follow them. You may be divorced because you didn't follow them. You may be divorced because you, even though you did follow them. You might be dating someone right now and not be following them. You're going to hear from my story. There's some of the things that I didn't do. And so I want us all to kind of put ourselves in that same place and remember that there's grace for us. There's grace for you. There's grace for me. And don't let this be a reflection on your past, but let it instead be something that might shape the way you might approach dating in your future. And that's one of the biggest graces that we have in a dating relationship and in reflecting back on maybe when we did things poorly is you can look back at it and by God's grace you can say, hey, I'm going to do this differently next time. And so if that's you today and you're feeling that, uh, experience God's grace here this morning, but use it as a way to think, maybe I'm going to do this differently next time. And one final thing before we jump in is I'd like to say before we get started, if, if anyone here this morning is not uh, following Jesus or doesn't proclaim to be a Christian, uh, these might be very different principles than you would live by, and I'm not saying that this is something that you should do. This is kind of like, you can look at it kind of like an insider, getting an insider view of what Christians, how they approach dating. So we're glad that you're here. Listen in on what we think about this. That would be great. So we're going to talk first, if you're a note taker, two Ps, purpose of dating and the process of dating. So purpose of dating. Simply put, the purpose of dating is to find a marriage partner. The purpose of dating from a Christian perspective is to give the time for you to evaluate to see if a person is a good fit for you in marriage. Now, this differs often from what we see in the world, what we hear, and what maybe is projected upon us by the different people that we're around who, who pursue dating, maybe just for fun. They just think, I'm not going to, serious, I don't really want to marry someone. I just want to go have fun. Or I want to go just, just play around and meet people. I want to get experience maybe. Or, or some would say, I just want to hook up with someone. I'm not actually serious about pursuing marriage. And that's not the Christian perspective, that we date for the purpose of marriage. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't have fun. It doesn't mean that you don't gain experience that might, after a breakup, prepare you for the next relationship. But the purpose is never just to have fun or gain experience or have the experience with someone or hook up. No, our pursuit is to find a marriage partner. That's the Christian perspective. And it is the most important human relationship that you'll have for the rest of your life. It's the most important human relationship. The most important decision you'll make apart from following Christ is picking who you'll marry. And as with any decision that you make, that's a big one, you probably spend a lot of time praying and thinking and getting advice and consulting. That's the same purpose here within marriage. As you're pursuing marriage, 
You want to have that time to evaluate. That's the purpose of dating. Now, it's like I said, there's just uh, principles that we can get from scriptures because there's not a particular verse on dating. But one of the principles I think we can take is from the way that we're supposed to evaluate elders. And so I'm going to read from 1 Timothy 3. This is Paul, and he's writing Timothy, telling him what qualifications and what competencies, what character do elders have to have to become an elder. 1 Timothy 3, 1. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whatever aspires to, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his family well and see that his children obey him, and he must, and must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so he will not fall into disgrace, into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons, and you see that little B on the screen there, that if you were to look in your Bible, that would have been a footnote that said deacons or deaconesses. So deacons and deaconesses are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested to see if there's nothing against them, and then they let them serve as deacons. So you see that both elders and deacons and deaconesses, there's certain criteria that had to be met. There had to be certain character qualities. There also had to be certain competencies. And they actually had to be proven like within the family, within the church, and with those outside the church. This is a high bar of what they would do. And then later, actually, in the same book, he's, he's going to go back and tell uh, Timothy a little bit more about how they should treat elders. And it goes to verse 22 in, in chapter 5. And it says, don't be hasty in laying on hands. The sins of some people are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. This idea of laying on hands, that's what he's meaning, like laying on hands of anointing people to be elders. Don't do it hastily, because what you need to do is you need to watch someone's character, and sometimes it takes a little bit of time. Some people's sins, as he says, they trail behind them. And so the purpose of evaluating elders is to give it time to see what their character's really like. Because sometimes stuff's going to surface and you're going to realize they weren't who they said they were. And vice versa, you're going to get to know someone deeper and he says you can actually see this good stuff that's coming from that you didn't even know was there. In the same way that we are to do this with elders, I would argue it's a great principle for dating. That the purpose of dating is, is really similar. It's for us to take time to let things surface and get to know who a person is. It's the same principle. It takes time to reveal their true character. It takes time for you actually even to know yourself very well. And it takes time to make what we're describing as the most important decision of your life. This is what I was taught. I came to, came to faith when I was like 15, 14. And uh, the guy that led me to faith really told me this same thing. He said, well, you can date, but if you date, remember, as a Christian, you're dating to pursue marriage. And so I had really thought that way um, all, all you know, my teenage years and into college. Never had any really serious relationship in high school. In college, uh, my, uh, right before my freshman year of college, I went on a mission trip to China. And there in China, got, met this girl and got really interested in her. When we got back from the mission trip, decided that we were going to start dating. And I went to UT, and she went to the inferior A&M. And so we, <laughs> we tried to keep this thing going long distance. But shortly into the fall, she told me, you know, Justin, I really want to date, date other guys. I want to date other guys in college. And kind of broke my heart. I kind of sunk down for about a semester. It wasn't very fun. Uh, sophomore year, I met another girl. Uh, we tried to start dating. 
with the same purpose in mind. And about a semester into it, we realized just weren't really a, a fit for each other. And that was like a really, really peaceful uh, breakup that we had. And then it was two years after college that I dated a girl for nine months. And during that period, I thought that this was someone that I was maybe going to marry. And the last couple of months of our relationship, though, she went off to Purdue to work with the Navigators. And that it became a long-distance relationship that caused complications. She ended up breaking up with me, and that put me in a tailspin for about a year. And about two years later, so that's three. Here's number four. <laughs> We're getting to the good number five in a minute. But number four, uh, dated this girl for a year, um, uh, two years later. And the first three months were okay. The last nine months were horrible. And you're like, you're like, well, why, why did you stay in it? Exactly, that's my problem, because I didn't know how to do this. <laughs> We're going to talk in a minute about the process, and my processor was very, very messed up. In fact, uh, this relationship, when it finally ended, I broke up with her, but it felt like she broke up with me, and it put me in such a tailspin. I saw a counselor every week for the next 18 months. And uh, this counselor really helped me realize uh, a lot of my problems with processing dating. Um, a lot of that comes from just my personality, I, I discovered. Um, there's a good bit of it that came from just the, the, my parents' divorce and me trying to make things work unlike what I had experienced in my home. And a lot of it just came out of just a, a, a discontentment with singleness that was really on the ungodly side. And I just wanted to be married so bad, I wanted to make something work. I worked through all those things, and this is one of my favorite parts of the story to tell. Uh, during one of our counseling sessions, after I'd made some progress, I remember he, Steve, rocked back in his chair and he, he would kind of flick his pen. And he's like, you know what you need to do, Justin? I said, what? He said, you need to date multiple women at the same time. <laughs> now, that was advice for me from a counselor. It's not me telling you to do that, but I'm telling you for me, that was exactly what I had to do because I was, I was bad at, at seeing red flags and just calling something off when it wasn't going well. And that was what was messed up in my process. And so uh, I started dating Brenda. Hi, Brenda. That's my <laughs> wife, Brenda. <I'm> there, so. <laughs> but was very honest with her in the relationship that, that I was seeing other people, and it was some people that she knew even. And so some of her best friends said, you gotta dump this guy, this is bad. But in her self-confidence, and really more so her trust in God, deep, deep trust in God, and maybe a little competitive spirit, uh, <laughs> she said, may the best woman win. And she did, I did. <laughs> so that's how things went with us. <laughs> See, I had the right purpose, but I didn't have the right process because of many things in my past that, that, that messed me up. So I'm sharing with you, if you have something in your past that you're not too proud of, so do I. And we learn, and then we made a commitment to do things differently. And when I dated Brenda, things were very, very different from all the other relationships. Again, the purpose of dating as a Christian is to find a marriage partner. And dating is that evaluation process. And as difficult as that is, because it's marred with past wounds and blind spots and heightened emotions and a deep desire, perhaps, to be married, that is what the purpose of dating is for. Now, let's talk a little bit about the process, the process of dating. For the process of dating, I want to try to answer two questions, who to date and how to date. So we'll begin with who to date. The first step in the process of dating is decide, obviously, who to date. And two things I think that Christians should look for. One is character and the other is compatibility, character and compatibility. The most important thing is character. You want to initiate a date or you want to, as you're evaluating, when you start dating someone, the most important thing you want to do is evaluate their character. Are they growing in Christ's likeness? You only want to date someone with character. In my 20 years of doing campus ministry at UT, I was constantly in conversations with people asking, like, should I date this person or should I not? Or, or they were getting more serious. Is this someone I should actually marry or not? 
Number one thing I always ask, tell me about their character. Tell me, are they growing in Christ-likeness? Are they committed to him, following his ways? I'd ask questions like, are they demonstrating Christ-likeness in their relationship with you? Do they have integrity? Are the same person privately that they are publicly? Do they confess when they sin and repent when they have? Are they humble? Do they respect you and your autonomy and your body? Do they work hard? Are they wise with their money? Are they generous? Are they active in their church? Do they have other men or women speaking into their lives? And are they under authority? These questions and other questions are the questions that you ask when you're trying to determine someone's character. It's almost like you can come up with your own uh, list of qualifications for an elder. You put together qualifications like, I want someone that's growing in Christ-likeness in these ways. And I can tell you, without a doubt, the best hope that you have, the best hope that you have of having a wonderful marriage starts with having a man or a woman who's faithfully walking with God and growing in Christ-likeness. Someone who's doing that, any marriage can work. You could marry anyone if that was the case, apart from the compatibility that I'm going to describe in a minute. Character is the most important. As a side note that I also need to say, if that's the bar that we're setting, then let me be very, very clear that Christians shouldn't date those outside of our faith. This next passage of Scripture is a principle. Again, doesn't relate to dating, but it's a principle that you see in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 about being yoked together with people with the same strength of faith as you. It says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what, can fellowship, can, what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Let me make one point real clear. I'm not saying that someone that's not of Christian faith can't have the character that I described. I'm not saying that, so don't, don't hear me say that. What I'm saying is it's very different that you want not just someone with character, you want someone who's pursuing Christ, saying that that's who they're following. And so Paul's using this example of a yoke that you would put on two oxen and they would be moving. And if you got the two oxen moving, but if you hook the oxen up with a donkey, you're just going to go in circles <laughs> because one is so much stronger than the other. And so his metaphor, his illustration is that in covenant relationships, when you're pursuing marriage, it should be with someone of equal strength of faith, someone who's pursuing God just at the same speed that you are, that's walking with God. So when considering who to ask out on a date or who to say yes to when you're asked out on a date, look first to see that the person has Christ-like character. And as you continue to date, let that be the primary thing that you're evaluating is their character. Uh, Brenda actually preferred not to speak on stage this morning, um, but she would tell you, because this happens a lot in our dinner table when we're telling our story, that that period when I was dating other people with her, that she said that she actually wasn't too concerned about it because she had full trust in my character, that she had seen enough of me, and we'd been together enough and seen enough of me at church and the group settings that we were in to believe that I would never do anything intentionally to hurt her. And so it was the character that she was looking for, as was I. And there's two things I want to mention real quick, just as a side note, um, because I see these as kind of like a seesaw in a relationship that happens when you talk about this character. It's one, one side of the seesaw is you have like two high of expectations. And so you, you basically rule everyone out because you've got such high expectations that no one's going to meet the standard. And by the way, then you don't meet their standard either if you had killed yourself to your own standard. Or you've got what I call the settling part of the seesaw, where you just think, well, this might be the best that I can get, so I'm just going to settle. And I've seen, I've seen both of those things cause people to not date or to date when they shouldn't. And one of the things you have to wrestle with, and I hope that you would actually invite your friends into this process, is to think about that, whether perhaps you're not dating because your standards are too high, or maybe you're dating because your standards are too low, and, and how can you walk that balance 
and believe that someone can grow and step in with you into that type of relationship. Be aware of both sides of that seesaw. So the second thing to look for, character is number one, because you could marry anybody with character and be married if they're really walking with Christ. But the second thing that is important, I think, is compatibility. Uh, when it comes to character, you're actually evaluating the person. You're looking at them and trying to evaluate them. But when you're talking about compatibility, what you're actually doing is you're, you're, talking, you're trying to evaluate each other. Like, how does it work when you guys are together? And I just want to suggest four areas of compatibility. There's probably more, but these four, I think, are really important. The first is theological compatibility. We'll call that faith. So you know within the capital C church, the big, big C church, there's all different kinds of streams and people are involved in different types of churches. One of the things you need to look at is, do we have theological compatibility? It doesn't mean you have to agree on every fine point of doctrine, but if there are certain major things that you disagree upon, it could come up to be a problem, especially as you think about maybe how you might want to raise your kids. And within the capital C church, there's all different types of ministry philosophies, worship styles, big church, small church, all different things like that. I've had many friends who come from different backgrounds, different denominational backgrounds, get married and think that they're going to find like a, a third way, something in the middle. And some have done so successfully, but many have not. And so there needs to be that theological compatibility that you need to assess as you start dating each other. The easiest way is to date someone that's already part of your own church, which is where I met Brenda, at the prayer meeting at our church. Come on, that, you can't get more godly than that. Like that was, we met at the prayer meeting. Technically, 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 my girl that introduced, my girlfriend introduced us. That's technically how we met. But we got to know each other at the prayer meeting. The same girl that, yeah, that, that's technically how we met. Um, but we got to know each other at the prayer meeting. The second thing is you want to be socially compatible. And we'll call this friendship. Uh, you want to be with someone who's easy to talk to, someone that you can have conversation with. You're going to eventually, if you move toward marriage, guess what? You're going to be talking to this person for the rest of your life. <laughs> you want to have someone that's interesting and fun and easy to have conversation with. And also, you want someone with the same interest to you. They don't have to be like line up perfectly, like you have everything in common, but enough common interests where you find it really, really easy just to have fun with one another. In fact, that's one of my most favorite diagnostic questions when people come to me and ask, is this, is this a good relationship or should I go forward? One of the things I ask is, hey, do y'all have fun? <laughs> like, do you laugh and have fun like all the time? Because really what you want is you just want to grow to be like a best friend. And just like you pick your friends based on those with common interests that you would think you could run with, that's what you're doing in a dating relationship. So when Brenda, early on in a relationship, invited me over for dinner and Monday night football, like food and football, yes, yes, so we do have that interest in common. That was a win. And one of the things that we actually discovered that was pretty funny in our dating relationship was uh, the movie that was really big at the time was The Matrix. And like all Christians loved it because it had all these great metaphors of Christianity. And if you know me, you know I hate movies like that. The, the, the Matrix, it's dumb. And so we found out when we were dating each other that we both actually rented the movie separately, watched about halfway through and turned it off because it was so stupid. It was just so stupid. We just turned it off. <laughs> so that's when you know you have social compatibility. We like the same movies and not the garbage things that a lot of other people like. <laughs> then there's uh, directional, uh, directional um, compatibility, which we use future. And this is something that you don't want to do really early on in the relationship because it puts false expectations to be talking about the future. But as a relationship progresses, at some point you have to have a conversation about where you want to live? How do your careers line up? What, what is life going to look like if we keep pursuing this relationship? And there's got to be enough compatibility um, in the direction of your life or 
one person's really got to be able to say, like, I'm going to follow your lead. I will go where, where you go. And sometimes that works well, and sometimes people say that, but they do it with resentment, and it ends up being a bad place. So you really have to assess, like, the directional capability. Are you honestly willing to sacrifice something, or do you have enough in common where you're going to live and go and career in the same place? And, of course, obviously, this has to do with family. That you have to, again, later as the relationship develops, ultimately have a conversation about what kind of family you want to have. How many kids do you want to have? How do you want to raise them? Because you've got to have this future compatibility as well, being on the same page, or it will spell uh, disaster. As Brent and I began to get more serious, uh, we had to talk about our possible futures. And I distinctly remember one conversation that we spoke of when uh, Brenda first told me her age and talked about our age difference. She told me about the uh, cancer treatment that she had the year before we had met and how it would make it unlikely for us to have kids, possibly. And then, uh, man, to her courage and bravery, at that point in the relationship, she said, it would be perfectly reasonable for you to want to call this off now. Um, but before we go any further, you ought to pray about it, and then we need to decide now that you have these you know, facts before you. And prayed about it for a few days and was like, no, this is too awesome. Let's, let's keep going. <laughs> so, um, but that was what it was like, to have a future conversation, to know, um, are we going to be compatible as we move toward our futures? Then I'll do one more, physical compatibility, attraction. I mean, if there's not physical attraction to one another, then that's a really big red flag. Uh, I think you should like the way that they look, and you should have sexual desire for them. In a Christian dating relationship, physical compatibility means that you desire each other sexually, not that you're having sex to see if you're physically compatible. More on that um, here at the end of, of the talk. But I do want to put a caution. While I, I do really believe that physical compatibility is, is something, I think that our world right now is deeply distorted by the advertising industry, by the pornography industry, that radically changes the way that we think about physical attraction. And so uh, I think that's something that you have to really check your heart if you're going to talk about physical compatibility as being one of the compatibilities. You really have to check yourself and make sure that you're not being swayed by what the world expects. And in fact, uh, to be real honest, I think this is one of the easiest two industries, ad and pornography, have, have created a culture where people get married later and later in life because of the unreal expectations uh, that they have. Check yourself to be sure that you're not influenced by the world, but physical attraction is important. So the way Christians date is different from the world uh, because it should be about giving uh, versus taking. Oh, by the way, I switched now. Now we're talking about how to date. Sorry, I didn't do that. So that was who to date. Now we're doing how to date. And I say at the start that Christians should date the way that we date should be different because we should be dating with a mindset of giving versus taking and versus treating one another as brothers and sisters. See, in the world, uh, dating is often about taking. It's doing things selfishly. It's a what's-in-it-for-me type of attitude. It's desire. The desire might be there to find a mate, but there's no sense of ever treating the person like a brother or a sister in Christ or no, no sense of actually treating the other person knowing that if they don't get married to you, they're going to be married to somebody else. That's why I like and Ben, ben Stewart, uh, a famous pastor, wrote a book called Single Dating, Engaged and Married. And he remembers thinking through the process of, of what kind of person should, uh, uh, how would he want a man to treat a woman while they're dating. And he came to the conclusion that if someone was to date his sister, that's how he would want them that's how he should be treating other people, how he would want people to date his sister. And I think that's a really good way that Christians should look at dating compared to the rest of the world. That when you're dating, you are dating a brother and sister in Christ. 
And if you're dating a brother and sister in Christ, then your number one objective should be to honor them, to see them grow in their faith, and to prepare them for marriage, even if it's not marriage with you. That's very different from the way the world thinks of it. And again, while there's no command in Scripture that says this is how you should date, there's really clear command here on how we should treat one another in 1 Timothy 5. Timothy writes, or Paul writes to Timothy, as a pastor, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers and older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Now, this is specifically a command to a pastor for how to treat people of different ages in his congregation, but it's no, if it's true for a pastor in a church, it should easily apply, at least as a principle, if not a command for how we should treat one another in a dating relationship. That the same way you would honor your biological family, it's the same way that you should be treating one another as spiritual family. Like That's how Christians should date, treating each other as brothers and sisters. Uh, that's why we're doing this whole seven ways to love and serve each other that kind of goes along with this uh, teaching series we're doing because we're, we're t- talking about how can we connect people from different ages and different seasons of life in a way that lets us understand and honor one another and bless each other and be a true spiritual family. And as a spiritual family, if you walk into a dating relationship with that lens, you know that you are dating a brother or sister, someone that deserves to be honored. So when it comes to dating, we need to treat each other as brothers and sisters, which means that we should aim to give rather than take. And our goal in dating should be to help the other person grow in Christ and be prepared for marriage, even if it's not marriage with us. In dating relationships, while the aim is to evaluate if someone's a fit for marriage with us, we should do it in a way that honors our brothers and sisters, even if we're not to get married to them. comes back to that key verse that we're jumping off point for this passage of submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Priority in any relationship that we have, dating, not dating, brother, sister, father, mother, everyone in the spiritual family should be to submit to one another. It's equally true in dating. Let me give you just a few tidbits when it comes to the process of dating. Five things here uh, as we close. First thing you got to do is you got to observe the other person. Uh, This happens best, in my opinion, if you can do it in person. It's to watch someone. It's to be part of some social networks where you're actually seeing each other and you're observing them and you're thinking, hey, that guy or that girl, I'd like to see, I'd like to get to know them better. It starts with just simple observation, trying to observe as best you can, at least on the outset, do they have enough of the character? Are they following Christ? Would I say yes or could I ask them out? And then you do the evaluation beyond that. But the first is just simple observation. Now, I know there's a whole new way in our world of observing, and that's via dating apps. And uh, while I do believe that in-person observation is better than reading a profile, I'm aware that that is a way that we, in this modern day, date. And so I'm not saying that I'm against it. I just think that you need to be really careful careful to have a really high filter. And one thing that I would caution you with, um, honestly, about online dating is there's there's this, uh, I call it the too many fish in the sea uh, fallacy. So it used to be back like when they didn't do have online stuff like this, you literally might know like a hundred, I might know like a hundred women in my lifetime. You know, I've got coworkers, church, a couple of really, you know, just, just that many fish to, to, to fish from, so to speak. But now that we have these online profiles and these dating apps, it gives you a false sense of, I might could maybe know a hundred thousand people. There might be a better fish out there. And it creates this this sense, if you're not careful, I'm not saying it's not wrong, I'm just warning you to say that you need to be careful of. Because then you're going to go back to your unrealistic expectations, and you're going to be raising the bar, and you're going to be thinking that there's always someone else better that's out there. 
I would urge you to be careful uh, with that. But you can observe people online as best you can, but it's better in person. Second is to initiate. I'm not going to go into who should ask who out, but personally I believe that men should ask women out, and I think that women actually prefer that. But whichever way that it happens, um, I'm not going to fight that battle. Whoever, whoever initiates, the main thing is to do so uh, with clarity. Uh, clarity is one of the most important things that you can do to be clear about your intentions, to just say, like, let's, uh, you want to hang out sometime or something like that? No, be clear. Like, go up and ask, would you like to go on a date? Tell them what your interest is and what you really want to do. And then when the date is over, say, I enjoyed that. I would like to do that again. Can I call you? Or give clarity to the direction that you're going. Because one of the worst parts about dating, you all know, is, is like not knowing where someone's at, like not knowing what's next, and then just kind of being in limbo. Like, help create clarity with, with your words. And this is one of the mistakes I made, I'll be honest. So this is one of the ones that I messed up with, with Brenda. Um, we actually, our first date was we backed into it. So what happened was I invited a group of people all to go out to a concert. And uh, it was like a couple weeks away. And as the weeks got moving forward, people kept canceling. And pretty soon it was just Brenda and I that were still committed to going. And so I sheepishly called and said, you still want to go? But let's make it not make it be a date. Let's just go to the concert. But then I treated the whole thing like a date. <laughs> it just completely confused her. It was like everything about it was a date. And so I was lame and did not follow this advice. And we jokingly say there was about a two-month period where we had what we called the undating period, where we were seeing each other, doing favors for each other, and then, you know, giving a, giving a dinner in response to the favor that you did. And it, but it took some time. But once I did commit, then we got married a, a couple, or engaged a couple months later. So don't follow my advice or my Example there, follow my advice, not my example. <laughs> Third one uh, would be to go slow. Go slow. Slow the pace of your dating relationship. Leave time for reflection. If the whole purpose is to, to evaluate, then slow down. Uh, dating rarely goes bad if you move too slow, but it can often go bad if you move too fast. I will say, as a side note, there's also sometimes that happens the other way around where something's going too slow or you've extended it too long and you've had enough variables that you should know whether you should in a relationship or keep it going. There's different factors and stage of life and things like that that kind of are factors within that. But overall, the encouragement would be to go slow. Fourth, and perhaps uh, one of the most important, is involve friends and family. You gotta involve other people. If you don't have any other people speaking into it, people who are watching, people you've gone on double dates with, who've seen you in groups, who are bold enough to get in your life and say, hey, I don't know about this, who ask you hard questions about how you guys are doing, man, you're really gonna mess things up. Like part of the evaluation process is involving your trusted friends and your trusted family to be a part of this process with you, to help you in your evaluation and to, to give feedback on what they see in you, blind spots that maybe you have, maybe blind spots that they have. And finally, last would be to maintain your boundaries. If there's one area of a dating relationship that would make someone unable to clearly and rationally determine if a person is right for marriage, it would be to be sexually active. That's not what we're to do in the Christian worldview. Because once couples have engaged in any sort of sexual activity, the blinders come on. You've, you've cashed a check that you don't even have the money for. You've, you've, you've set yourself up to say yes to other things. You've, you've taken things physically where you're not even emotionally or spiritually or mentally. It's the easiest way to completely pick the wrong person. And so from a Christian view, we believe in saving sex until marriage. And that's the way that you best honor a brother and sister, as I described earlier. Listen to one last passage in the way that Paul in 1 Thessalonians encourages the body of believers to act. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, 
that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. We're meant to control our bodies. We're meant to treat one another as brother and sisters and not take what is not ours. That's what it means to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we're brothers and sisters, and there is a way to date a brother and sister in Christ with a purpose toward finding a marriage partner that leads to marriage or ends to a breakup that is far less painful and full of regret. There is a way of dating with a purpose to get married, but there are measures that we can take in treating one another as brothers and sisters that limit the pain of a breakup and actually enhance the chance of us getting married. And these are the principles that I would lay before you as a Christian worldview. Let me close by making one true statement that one of my mentors told me when I was 21 years old. He said, the only thing worse than being single and, being, and, and wishing you were married is being married and wishing you were single. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, good, good warning. Um, and it's true because unfortunately, I, I've seen some friends that didn't listen to advice and had gotten married that probably shouldn't have. And their marriage is very, very difficult. Now, let me say one thing very clearly. By God's grace, they can, they, they, I've seen some that just submit themselves to God and follow Christ, and they've restored their marriages, and they're doing great. But it started off rocky. Well, I've seen others that are just rocky all along. Any relationship, any marriage could be fixed if two people submit themselves to Christ and walk with God in humility. And I've seen it. We had a, we had a dinner with a couple um, this week that was in that situation that are doing fantastic now. But the same thing is true. Don't put yourself in that situation to make it more hard than it is. One of the lines that I say in the very first paragraph of when I'm doing a wedding is marriage is the uh, most important decision that we make in our lives apart from the decision to put our faith in Christ. So it should, be entered, it should not be entered into lightly. So if marriage should not be entered into lightly, and that's a true statement, then the purpose and the process of dating is very important. So I'd urge you to practice these principles as you date. Last paragraph here. I would encourage all of us, single, dating, or married, to seek one another's counsel as a church and to care and support each other and support a healthy dating relationship. Friends of dating people, be a faithful brother and sister and get in your friend's business in their relationship and speak into their life. Married people, get into the business of those who are dating so that you can speak into their life. Uh, dating couples, be wise and seek the advice of other married couples and other people and your friends in your church. And dudes... Ask girls out. <laughs> Let's be mindful, all of us, of the sorrow that many people have in, in being single and wishing they were dating and wishing that they were married. We need to be mindful of that at all times and care uh, for those that hurt in that way. Let me close this in prayer. God, we do pray as a church that you would uh, keep us walking wisely with the principles that you've given us on, on dating uh, from Scripture. Pray that we would have uh, relationships and cultivate relationships that honor you, relationships that treat each other as brothers and sisters. Just pray that your spirit would work in anyone's life um, from what was spoken today. And pray too uh, for me and for all of us who've made mistakes toward this end that we would feel the freedom of your grace and that we would simply commit to do things differently uh, the next time around. I do pray that many people in our church would date and get married. 
That would be really fun, so I pray for that too. And in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org. 